Good evening. You are listening to a Rattledgen Broadcasting Premier Podcast TV party tonight. I'm your host, the man theater reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And tonight, our favorite show is only Murders in the Building, starring Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez, brought to you by the good people at Rhode Island Ave Productions, Another Hoffman Story Productions, 40 Share Productions, 20th Century Television, and Hulu. Joining me this evening from Honeysuckle Rose Creations is Alexis Haina. How do you do, madam? Hello, doing well. Just gave Cleo a carrot to munch on. Hopefully she will be distracted long enough before she starts clawing at me again. So we are really off the beaten path tonight with this one. This is not something we would normally talk about on the Rattlers and Broadcasting Network. It's not based on a comic book, and it's not and it's not for the children like Wu Tang Clan. So um, I, I still don't get the reference. How you Mark has renamed everyone in our chat after a member of the Wu Tang Clan, and the fair-skinned woman from <laughs> the middle of nowhere, Missouri. Uh, looked at it and was like, yeah, don't get the reference, don't get the reference, don't get the reference, don't get the reference. Really don't get the reference. What did you name me after? Don't get the reference. Yeah, there's um, there's actually a movie about the rapper I named you after, The Real Roxanne, uh, on Netflix called Roxanne Roxanne. Um, and it was, it, was the, the, it's, it goes to the legacy of early 80s hip-hop. But anyway, <laughs> um, so we're, we're doing something different tonight. Uh, we're doing this Hulu-exclusive murder mystery series only murders in the building and you um you had asked if we could review this and i am curious what piqued your interest about this show this show was first announced on the disney investors meeting in 2020 which you had me taking notes for for release dates and potential upcoming information yep. still remember uh sending you sending occasional text to the group chat and i think at one point i said they're remaking um oh my god what's they just came out with it. It was the movie with Tom Hanks and the Pitbull, and they just remade it. What oh, it? Turner um, and Hooch. Turner and yeah, Hooch, right. Yeah, I think I mentioned like they're remaking Turner and Hooch, and I could hear the groans coming from half the staff. <laughs> it's been but, an interesting year on Disney+. Plus. Very. <laughs> but they announced Only Murders in the Building as one of the shows coming to Hulu, and they said uh, this was going to be a comedy uh uh, crime fiction and it was starting Steve Martin and Martin Short and the minute I heard that I, I messaged him like okay when this comes out we have to review it okay it's freaking Martin Short and Steve Martin okay how can this not be gold so uh, growing up as I did I was born 1976 so I grew up with a lot of Steve Martin comedies uh, by that point he he's part of the golden age of stand-up comedy uh, along with many others, um, many that ended up on Saturday Night Live and were in a lot of early 80s movies. That that Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, Andy Kaufman era. Mm -hmm. And um, so I never saw much of his stand-up, though I do remember the one LP he put out where he's got the arrow on his head, um, stuff like that. But where I was familiar with Steve Martin were movies like, and this tells you how I was raised as a kid, The Jerk. Uh, the man with two brains, which as a kid was so funny to me. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's hilarious. Not um, the whole thing. 
all of me with Lily Tomlin, which to this day, I still quote that movie. I can't go in there. That's the men's room. Um, <laughs> that's, I love that movie. Um, and of course, one that features both Martin Short and Steve Martin, the three amigos, which one of my one of my most favorite memories as a child was the night my dad took me to Taco Bell for dinner. And then we went to go see three amigos because Absolutely. even then, even then I was a master of synergy. Um, <laughs> oh my god three amigos is one of I, I don't think i'm going to call it one of my favorite movies per se mm -hmm. but it is a movie that is impossible to not love it's sure. just such a classic it's a staple of comedy hilarious. the chemistry between martin Short and steve martin and chevy chase is brilliant it's mm. such a great film and yeah, it's been a while since we've seen either of these uh, men in a project. Martin it's Short turns up here and there, and he for, weirdly he'll turn up in a drama, which uh, struck me as kind of odd. Uh, another Steve Martin favorite of mine, Little Shop of Horrors. You'll be a dentist, dentist. and a success. <laughs> yes, one of the most bizarre villain songs of all, <laughs> but I love it. Um, yeah, no, my favorite, actually, uh, Martin Short appearance was uh, his guest shot on the original Muppet show. Did you watch? No, I never saw his Ed Grimley show. Uh, did you ever watch that? Mm -mm. Okay, you know, the one where he's got the, the hair. I, I think I've got, that's the name of it. Where he's got I'm the hair not parted sure. up. Yeah, I'm not 100% certain. I do, like I said, a bit a fan of Martin Short, but you're right. He does mm -hmm. do a lot of dramas. He did a very dark guest spot an episode I remember of Law & Order SVU not too long mm -hmm. ago. A uh, very messed up episode. Um, I do remember getting really upset, though, because I found out that he and Jason Alexander did the L.A. Uh, production of The Producers. Oh, Jason yeah. Alexander okay. as Bialystok and Martin Short as Bluminous. I'm like, why couldn't I have seen that? Because that, again, that would have been amazing to see that. Mm -hmm. Um trying to see if that if that's if i've got the right guy for uh, ed grimley but anyway i know one of the things that i saw martin short in as a kid was inner space which if i know if i ever if i remember nothing else about that movie when he screams out i'm possessed that always cracked me up one of the absolute best adaptations of fantastic voyage yes um so I don't know that much about Selena Gomez. I was, I was. This was one of those ones where I'm watching her in this movie, uh, in this TV show, and I'm just peppering my wife with questions like, "Huh, what is she from? What does she do?" And she's like, "She's a Disney person. It's fine." She's been in a couple of Disney shows. She's a pop princess. She's mm -hmm. had a couple of singles. It, it's so kind of funny actually because she's credit as one of the uh, executive producers mm -hmm. on the show. Yes. They all are. All, all, all three of yeah. these people. And no, not a huge fan of Selena Gomez, but she's not terrible. She's just, I didn't grow up in the era of watching her on Disney. Yeah. A uh, little to uh, get into her kind of music. I've heard her songs on the radio and she's not terrible. She's a good singer. So, she, um, so the, thing it, the thing that stands out to me about her, is she's the voice of Mavis in the Hotel Transylvania movies. She is. Um, yeah, that, that, it, that might be the one thing of hers I've seen. I think it was kind of funny because I told I was explaining the show to a friend who hadn't heard mm -hmm. of it because they don't have Hulu, and I was like, "So it starts Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez." And on that last one, they just said this because <laughs> they have one of these things is not, not like, like the, the other. other. Yep. So uh, I do like a good murder mystery, and so this is this is one of those multi-genre type things: murder mystery, comedy. 
it i love the premise where you have these two elder gentlemen one's in theater one's an, uh, a former actor and then they get mixed up with this young gal because a murder has taken place in the building but the other thing i thought was really funny given what we're doing right this very moment is they come together because they're all true crime podcast fanatics which cracked me up it it's hilarious because this is the kind of thing you actually see when you work at the comic cons like i do mm -hmm. is that you see people who would normally never associate with one another but mm -hmm. the minute they share that same fandom it, it, well there's a quote i think from c.s lewis it's like friendship is born out of the moment you say you two i thought i was the only one <laughs> love that quote again i think that's the way it goes and i have yeah i've seen stuff like that where it's like you see people who clearly come from completely different walks of life have no common ground no common experience but the minute they find out they read the same books or they watch the same show it's like oh you want to talk about harry potter you want to talk about lord of the rings you want to talk about sherlock you know you want to talk about the marvel movies just the minute it's like instant mm -hmm. kinship and i love and so when they start going over that and she walks in she's like what's in the dog's mouth and they just sit down and start talking it's like yeah i know that i know exactly that isn't it it's it's kind of you know art reflecting life life reflecting art because i mean if you look at just the, just this little island called the rattledge broadcasting network we are very dissimilar people but what brings us together are these common interests you know mm -hmm. and these abilities ability to have a conversation about things we all enjoy and then we go back to our own separate lives literally exactly. all over the damn planet yeah so, no kidding um so let's get into it I mean, so the whole premise of this thing and we're going to jump around um like we like jesse and i did on the wu-tang clan show we're going to just kind of jump around here and talk about different aspects of it so like steve martin um plays an actor who who was in a show a, a show like kojak he plays um he was on a show called brazos i think it, i think he calls it and he Bra was an actor brazos, brazos something yeah. like that and he was an actor on that show where he played a detective. And Martin Short is a director of musicals. And Selena Gomez is some sort of artist. She's living in her aunt's apartment in this really posh Upper West Side apartment building. And she's there because she's supposed to be redesigning it. Um, they are, they, one night, they are all exiting from the building. And uh, they end up eating dinner together because they're talking about this true crime pro podcast that they're on. Yeah, they've all been the, the apartment gets uh, the fire alarm pulled. They all mm -hmm. have to vacate. Um, yeah, Steve Martin and Martin Short's characters both go across the street to this restaurant to hang out while the, they can't go back in. And yeah, Selena Gomez comes in and she sees them talking about the this uh, all is not okay in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And she joins in and they just, yeah, they spend who knows how long just sitting at this table talking about it. They go back into their apartment where um, it's been discovered that Selena Gomez's friend, um, a guy that they had passed in the elevator earlier in the first episode, has been murdered. Or it, it appears to be a suicide. That is the first inclination of the on-scene detective is that he committed suicide and case closed. But um, for whatever the reasons are, maybe you remember more of the details than I do, uh, they think foul play is afoot. And what's funny here is Martin Short, who is fallen on hard times and is on his way out of this building because he can't afford it, but as he says to his son at one point, it's the only thing he has, decides he's going to produce a podcast as sort of a way of making money really, really quick so he can hang on to his apartment. And why does Steve Martin do this? Because Steve Martin is lonely in the show. Steve Martin, he'll talk about having a girlfriend who had a daughter and he got really close to the daughter, which kind of drove the stepmother nuts. 
and both of them took off. Um, I want to talk about that really, really quickly, and then I'll get you to weigh in here. We find we don't find that out till later after he's been starting to date uh, Amy Ryan's character for a little while. And by the way, do you know where Amy Ryan is from? Where The Wire season two, among Check other off places. Your bingo cards, folks. <laughs> um. Anyway. She's been in lots of other things, too, but that's where I first saw her. In any case, um, the first time you get an inclination that all is not right with Steve Martin is he's ma- is like the middle of the night, and he's making an omelet with peppers. And he kind of takes a sniff of it and then dumps it right in the garbage. And he does this a few times before you he starts to open up a bit and tell you why he's doing that. Uh, and I thought, you know, this, this, this got a lot of praise for its writing, and this is one of those indicators of that that there's a lot of detail. Not everything has to be in service of this murder mystery. There's a lot of great character moments here, a lot of quiet character moments. Absolutely. You really pick up a lot about the characters just from seeing them in their apartments and how they interact. Not everything has to be spelled out. Although when they do go into exposition, it doesn't feel forced. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you get this really great bit where Martin talks to Jan, that's Amy Ryan's character, and explains about his last relationship. And you feel it not to mention the mm-hmm. scene where you find out he's like and i'm sitting alone with bugs and porky because i paid extra for them to appear and you cut to him sitting at this birthday table kind of thing mm-hmm. with these two people in costume jays around him and he looks so despondent right again it works really well you have the scene where uh martin short's character is talking about splash the musical mm-hmm. and exactly why that failed so miserably here's a hint Pools and stages don't mix. No, they do not. But again, it doesn't feel forced. You know, it's like there. there's a not only are these amazing actors who have a real passion for their craft and a great ability to just really help you visualize what they're talking about. Yeah, um, I, I thought we were in danger in the very beginning where it opens up with Steve Martin's um, uh, narration and then Martin Short gets a bit of narration and Selena Gomez gets a bit of narration and they're all they all have this broadcasted inner dialogue uh inner monologue and I was like oh god I hope the whole thing's not like this and it turns out it's not it's a way of introducing the characters it's a way of getting you into this world but they abandon it quickly enough once the action gets going which I was really happy with so I can deal with a little bit of that in the beginning but if, but if this was you gotta understand, and I don't know how much of this you've watched or if you've paid attention to anything we've talked about in the chat. You is constant inner monologue. I have not watched me. Go ahead. I have not watched you at all. Save yourself. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> you guys talk about it enough. I don't feel the need to watch it. I I then I've done you a service. Um, but that show is all inner monologue, and that first season of it is is insufferable. Um, I can only deal with so much of that. You know, I don't know if that's a, if, if, what you're thoughts on inner monologues or not but like when used sparingly they're a great framing device when used constantly it's just like someone banging on pots and pans for me the inner monologues work in this because the framing of the show is that these guys are recording podcasts right so the way that they speak it doesn't really sound like inner monologue or exposition it sounds like they're telling a story on the podcast Mm -hmm. it sounds not overly narrative yeah. is the I think the word I'm looking for not to mention the fact that it's not just them we have other characters even though they don't contribute to the podcast we get to have their input as well and mm-hmm. they speak in the same way and it works 
there's a really great transition where you get Steve Martin's bit of narration, but he's actually, but what you, but as you're pointing out, he's actually recording um, the voiceover for the podcast and he's playing, what's it, a concert, concert, uh, concertina concertina and so you hear you hear the concertina and then he's actually playing it which i thought was really funny and which then, and then there's a, and then, oh sorry go ahead and then there's a bit about it where <laughs> you know because martin martin short and steve martin have great comic chemistry together mm-hmm. and when he's kind of giving steve martin crap about the concertina <laughs> you know it's like this makes it this this makes it classy it makes it really authentic sounding and he's you know and martin short gives him crap about it i uh, i laugh pretty hard Exactly. Not, and I was about to say, Mar- uh, Steve Martin actually was playing the concertina. That is one of several instruments he does know how to play. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So as the plot moves forward, they decide they're going. They're going to even even though the cops have blown this off and say case closed. Um, I guess there are other concerted parties that we're going to find out are involved in this, and they would like this opening. <laughs> but the cops have enough evidence to support a suicide theory. <laughs> Good enough for good enough for government work. Let's close the book on this. But you know, Martin Short wants to pursue this because he thinks this is good grist for the mill to make a podcast out of it. He needs the money. Martin Short doesn't have a whole lot of going on in his life. Um, Keep talking. I'm going to throw yeah. this one outside before he annoys the crap out of us. Give and me a second. So, and Selena Gomez doesn't believe her. What we'll find out is her former friend would have actually offed himself. She thinks he was murdered. The, the interesting thing about the Selena Gomez character is she's a bit of a mystery all on her own. Selena Gomez's character has a lot of, it takes a good couple of episodes, probably about half of this show, um, for her to reveal that they were friends, they were part of a group, um, I think she called them her Hardy Boys, um, that they had had a falling out that her friend was pushed off a roof. Uh, another friend took the rap for it, but even that was suspect. Um, and she's keeping all of this from Martin Short and Steve Martin until she can no longer hide it from them and you know, and everything comes out in the wash. Uh, I think, and I want to give credit where credit's due, Selena Gomez, people might want to write off as, oh, that's one of the Disney kids, you know, or she, she just does a lot of light stuff. She does a really, really good job. Uh, she gives a really good performance in this show. It's very understated, but I, it's understated in service of the fact that she's keeping a whole ton of secrets and she doesn't want to be found out. And she's also, you know, not a kid. She's an adult, but she's very young, especially compared. And they make a lot of jokes about this, especially compared to Steve Martin and uh, Martin Short. Mm-hmm. So I just want to, and I'll get you to weigh in on this. I just want to say Selena Gomez really holds up her end of the acting uh, stool in this. Absolutely. I know a lot of people when they found out she was going to be in this again, it was like, wow, Martin Short, Steve Martin. What the hell is Selena Gomez doing here? But yeah. she does a phenomenal job. She has very good chemistry with both of these actors. And I never once found her character irritating or annoying. And that's another thing. She's played off originally like the very aloof, standoffish, millennial. You know, she doesn't want to talk to anyone in the building. She clearly doesn't have friends, which we learn is because of everything that she's gone through. And, you know, she's just kind of gone through hell and she is keeping to herself for this. But it works. You know, again, this is a character that has been done many times before and has been done very poorly. <laughs> and has been extremely annoying 
She is not that in this at all. It does take her a while to really warm up to working with them. There are a few times, especially earlier in the season, where it's clear that she is not as enthusiastic as the guys are. And I think part of that is as we find out she's more involved in the mystery than we originally sus uh, suspect. Yes. And that's the other thing I actually want to mention. Um, it's going to sound weird, but there's actually a really good mystery mm -hmm. in this series. Um, I was very worried that we were either going to find out the answer too early and then, you know, we were going to have to watch everyone bumble as they try to figure it out. But there is a legit, th the series is very well written mm -hmm. and the mystery of who killed this character is quite fascinating. And they sprinkle a lot of breadcrumbs very early on that you as the audience learn and you learned it and you start deducing them with the characters one of the biggest MacGuffins that lead to figuring out what's going on is this emerald ring that we see um mabel's friend wearing the night she dies mm -hmm. and they mention it or something so it's like up oh, Chekhov's gun the ring and we know it's going to be important but then it comes but it doesn't come into the picture until a little bit later and it's like okay so what's going on with the ring you find yourself getting very entwined in the mystery as a good murder mystery should do yeah, there's a lot of red herring. So we'll fast forward a little bit. Um, Martin Short, who actually, let me talk about Martin Short for a second. It is so easy for the Mar for Martin Short's very eccentric, Broadway theatrical character to be grating. Um, they also could have written him as very stereotypical, and there's touches of it because I think. Look, even even for someone like me, you know, who's who's been doing podcasts forever you know, and is on camera now, there, there's a certain theatrical flair. We all have it. You know, we wouldn't be in a performance medium. Um, and so I think that to have that absent of him would have, you know, would not have been believable. But um, it also tends to, the kind of hackneyed writing in Hollywood, they tend to overdo that. And, and then the character just becomes a caricature of that, of that kind of a person. And they actually gave him a lot of depth and they toned that down. And one of my favorite scenes in this entire show is when he goes to his son to ask for money. And I, I did not see that coming. It's very early on. It might be only be the first or second episode. And, mm -hmm. you know, he comes across as a bit of a flake. You know, he, he definitely there's a lot of discussion of him um, having fallen on hard times after blowing Splash the musical. Um, but he was a success before that. And so. You know, there, there's just a lot there. And I have to give credit where credit's due in the writing and Martin Short's performance of being an engage, presenting an engaging character that didn't get on my nerves because it was entirely possible that was going to happen. And unfortunately, Martin Short has shown that he has a, I don't like using this phrase, but he has a talent for playing annoying characters. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie, when I watched an episode or two of Jiminy Glick, mm -hmm. oh my God. I do not get why that was so popular. I remember watching going, it's like... Because it was a fat guy falling on falling on the floor, and fat people falling is funny. Michelle McCarthy, Melissa McCarthy has made a career out of it. Yeah, but it's not a fat guy falling. It's Martin Short in a fat suit. Uh, correct. Again, it, <laughs> Martin Short does have a, has a history of playing very over-the-top buffoon. Yes, and there is a there is a, a talent for that, mm -hmm. but I was a little worried at first that that was what we were going to get out of him. But right. they did a good job of keeping him. Again, he is a bit more the clown in the group than Steve mm -hmm. Martin is. Martin is funny, but he's a little bit more the straight man. 
Um, By the way, nice callback to Jiminy Glick. I haven't thought about that character since that was on the air, and that was a hundred years ago. <laughs> I'm now, only... now I'm, I'm having memories of Jiminy Glick moments where he's like, so tell me about the first time you masturbated, and it's like, what the hell? And then he's like, just falls over the desk, that kind of thing. The only reason I even remember that is because of a Family Guy reference. Where really? Stewie yeah. imagines himself as Jiminy Glick. Oh, is that what that was? I never picked up that reference before. There is an old, there's an episode, I think it's one of the earlier seasons. Yeah. yeah, where he imagines himself that. And that's the only main reason I still remember that because I have tried so hard to push the rest of that show out of my brain. I find it hilarious and maybe ironic that, uh, uh, you know, thinking to 20 minutes ago, I reference Ed Grimley forgot completely forgot about Jiminy Glick and therein lies our age difference everyone <laughs> <laughs> anyway yes um but the scene with Martin Short and his son is really played well you know Martin Short doesn't want to ask his son for money but he doesn't know what else to do he's desperate and it's a weird thing because I don't think the building has a tremendous amount of personality but it clearly means something to Martin Short and it clean and it means something to Steve Martin, and because of the, the excuse me the tragedies that have befallen her, it means something to Selena Gomez. And I don't know how I feel about that because I feel like the building should have maybe had more personality, but it just kind of as a backdrop as a setting, it just feels like a building. They're nice apartments, but they should be oh, They're yeah. the Upper West Side. I think it would have helped if we had seen more of the actual building that could have mm. helped establish it more as a character. In the end, we only see the majority of time we're in one of the three, well, one of the four apartments, Mabel, uh, Charles, Oliver, or Tim's. Mm -hmm. uh, we occasionally see um, Jan's apartment, mm -hmm. not that often. Um, but yeah, we never see any of the other characters where they live and what the inside of theirs is like. Um so, yeah, I think that it would have been better if, like, they had spent more time in various parts of the Arconia. I mm. mean, I refuse to... I, this is an old, old, old building, but I refuse to believe that it doesn't have some more accessible rooms that they could have used. Well, here's an example of what I'm talking about, and I know you agree with this. Um, at least I think I will. Ghostbusters, right? Mm -hmm. The building is an antenna to bring Gozer the Gozerian, you know, into the world, and Zool is there, and Vince Clortho is there. Um... And so the building plays a major part of the narrative. The building looks cool. It looks mm -hmm. ominous. There's ghouls that will eventually become uh, Zul and Vince, you know, at the top the demon of dogs. It. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can tell I just listened to all those podcasts again because I can remember the names of the characters now. Oh, but I just watched both Ghostbusters uh, mm -hmm. last night and today while I've been working. I've got them both on my upstairs office computer. I They're yeah. one of my favorite things to put on the background. So, like, the building itself has presence. Mm -hmm. and, you know, and even though Dana's apartment and Rick Moranis' apartment is nothing special, the build, the outside of the building um, looks pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And you can definitely feel like, okay, this is adding to the ominousness of what's going on in New York City with the Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. exactly. I don't. I don't get a sense of character from the Arconian. I think that's one. That's one of the, my. That's one of the few criticisms I have is. You're, we're spending so much time in this building. This building is supposed to represent something, and it just kind of looks like a building. We do get a really good representation of the other residents of the Arconia, yes. though, thankfully, and I really and that does help a lot. Even if we don't remember all of the characters' names, we can identify majority of them. We have that very creepy cat lover. We mm -hmm. have uh, the African woman who wants Tim's apartment. We have the 
bitchiest landlady or i guess she's like head of the hoa so to speak it's not the it's not the most pleasant painting of new york city residents you know steve martin passes one of his neighbors he gives him the finger mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you have the landlady who's just awful you know it, it, yeah they, when they have tim's funeral and, and nobody can talk about tim or or whatever it is but they're all talking about other stuff and it's like <sighs> it's not 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 not, not great funny but uh, it's an awful yeah. picture of new york city it's new york city <laughs> i suppose um all right so i want to talk about nathan lane and uh, the guy that plays his son who is uh deaf and i know you had a lot of thoughts about the silent episodes so i'll set this up and then you can take it from there mm-hmm. but um so nathan lane plays a, a rich businessman who martin short um has worked for in the past and they, they show it in flashbacks he gets him to sponsor the podcast you find out he's sponsoring the podcast because he has ulterior motives related to the murder slash suicide of tim which is all well uh fine and well he has a deaf son and they are intertwined in the narrative related to tim and the girl that falls off the building um and they spend an entire episode from the perspective of Nathan Lane's deaf son, and it's really artfully done. Absolutely. First of all, this is not a role I have seen Nathan Lane really play before. Again, very similar to Martin Short, he often plays very flamboyant, over-the-top characters. He's like most and- known for what he called uh, the birdcage. The birdcage, uh, Timon and Pumbaa, things like mm-hmm. that. And or uh, again, going back to the producers, uh, Max Bialystok. Yes. And again, he's an, he's a brilliant actor, mm-hmm. but when I saw that he was in this again, I was thinking, oh, here comes more of the buffoonery. I'll tell you, have you ever seen Nathan Lane play like, like a really ominous, threatening character? No. Because, because when he does, it's really scary because he's normally, normally you see him as that birdcage character, you know, yeah. where, where he's an elderly gay person and, you know, and then he has to dress up as a woman and he, and it's phenomenal. The birdcage is, is a really outstanding movie. Nathan um, Lane exemplifies Broadway. Yeah. I think he, there's just something about him that is so. Th- this is a man who, whenever he talks, you ever see him in, even just performing, mm-hmm. it screams, "Life is a performance." That's what you get out of him. <laughs> Acting genius line. That's John Lovitz. Um, <laughs> Again, nothing, not against him. I love that mm-hmm. we have someone like that. So, but, right. but I can, would not have picked it, him to play Teddy Demas. He can turn it on. And be really threatening and um and um really threatening when he wants to. Like he can be downright scary. Mm-hmm. Which, like I said, when you compare it to some of his other like more flamboyant performances, you're like, how did you know? It's like Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey plays the buffoon, but can also be very, very serious and downright scary when he wants to be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the actor who plays his son Theo. First of all, um, the character is deaf, and the actor is deaf. That is. Uh, James Caverly, mm-hmm. who is um, uh, an, a deaf actor. So credit to uh, the uh, the staff and everything for being more inclusive with that. Uh, I was very impressed with the use of ASL in this. This is a thing in Hollywood now, right? I know like they got rid of the guy that was voicing Cleveland because he was Cleveland on Family Guy because he wasn't black. And there just seems to be a movement towards trying to keep things... Um, consistent in terms of black people should voice black people or play black people obviously Uh, deaf people should you know we have deaf actors out there let's get them playing deaf characters uh like makari from um eternals being another example 
I call it the Apu movement. <laughs> Another good one. Well, no, because it started with that documentary mm-hmm. about uh, Indian actors who are often played by non-Indian okay. or Indian roles that are not often played by non-Indian actors. And they did this massive thing about Hank Azaria voicing Apu mm. and how Matt Groening and his crew basically had to come out and say, look, we started the show in the early 80s. Right. This was okay then. The show is still going on. Mm-hmm. Things have changed. We don't know really what you want us to do. Right. You know, and even, you- Hank, and even Hank Azaria was like, look, you want me to stop voicing the character? I'll stop voicing the character. <laughs> Have you ever seen the show Legit with Jim Jeffries? Uh, no. You, are you familiar with the comedian at all? Slightly. Okay. Real quick, Jim Jeffries did a, did a show based on a routine he did about his handicapped friend that he took to a whorehouse. And when they when they developed the show based on the life of that of his friend, they wanted to have a handicapped person play him. They actually mm-hmm. they actually cast um, brought in an entire uh, group of. Um, potential actors who all had a ver- I think a variety of um of a, a variety of issues uh so because they they wanted to be as authentic as possible mm-hmm. so getting back to this so yeah like I said props to them and uh Caverly does I, I'm not familiar with a lot of stuff he's done I looked him up on mm-hmm. IUDB he, he's had a decent career but not a lot of stuff I'm familiar with right uh fingers crossed that he gets picked for more stuff because he was really good in this Mm -hmm. uh but yes we get an episode that takes place almost entirely from theo's point of view as we see how he has played a major part in everything that's happened and he was the one who murdered mabel's friend completely by accident Mm-hmm. Not to mention, I, I, it's I not didn't even think he pushed her. It looked like she shoved herself off of him and then took a bump off the building. That's kind of what I thought at first. Mm-hmm. But what I like about it, this his character is that you get the impression that he wants to turn himself in. He is mm-hmm. not. He doesn't run to his father saying, "Get me out of this. Get me out of right. this." He's throwing up. He right. is sobbing. He is terrified again it's not spelled out but i have this distinct feeling that were uh teddy demas not involved in the um jewelry theft business mm-hmm. that we find out later that he is doing uh he uh theo probably would have turned himself in and said yeah it was my fault but it was an accident right but again he knows that if the police start looking into this and they would you know because mm-hmm. he would start they would investigate what happened good chance they're going to find what the Demises have been up to. Yeah, I have to really be very critical of that scene because I, I watched that very closely and I think I had to go back and watch it one more time. They are he doesn't throw her. It's it's told as if he threw her off the roof. You know it, that's not what happens at all. She's pushing him away but her back is to the building and it's not and here's the thing I, this is a this is a little bit of weakness of the writing. It's not believable she'd have fallen like that. You know, she, mm-hmm. she that that wall is high enough where she has to actually get up over the wall in order to fall that way. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking about like Cruella, where we had the kind of a similar discussion where it was like, how did you manage that? You had to have jumped. Like, like there's no way you went over naturally. Um, oh, like, yeah, the the dog, you know, pushes mm-hmm. her off the cliff. That's what it was. And we were all like, nope, 
<laughs> that's not believable. Kind of a similar yeah. It's like that here. dog must have weighed a freaking. I know Dalmatians are not small dogs, but that right. dog must have weighed a freaking. Dog must have weighed like at least three Cleos well, to I have the kind of the dog pusher like that. Then that kind of momentum, the dog would have went over too, and the dog like you know somehow or other didn't and i'm like basically no. yeah the dog does the uh resident evil jump flip <laughs> kick off, the, off of her <laughs> and then lands like scarlett johansson such uh, a poser that's such a poser so yeah so this is a similar thing i mean it, like it's a minor detail it's just one of those things where i think in setting up that scene i i, I think they I, I don't think anyone thought it would be scrutinized like this but i looked at it and i'm like nope there's no way and i think it's because i watch so much wrestling and stuff like that like I understand enough about body movement that if you and I are struggling up against that wall and it's at least waist high, I have to, you still have to get a, off the ground for that to happen. She's shoving him away from her and somehow or other high jumped over the wall and fell to her death. Yeah. Again, I'm not exactly sure. I'm willing to chalk a lot of it up to disbelief mm -hmm, to the fact sure. that she had probably been drinking mm -hmm. to the fact that uh, Theo probably is a lot stronger than he thinks. So he mm -hmm. probably he did. I'm sure he pushed her. Mm -hmm. You know, again, I'm with you. It looks like she pushed herself. But, you know, like like that. But yeah. I'm pretty sure it was meant to convey that he pushed her. And th th there are certain things like, you know, the story is good enough. I'm willing yeah. to let it slide. Yeah. Like, this is a minor nip. Yeah, I am quibbling at this point because nothing can be perfect. But, but yeah, so except for that, the wire. No, um, I'm just kidding. But yeah, just so kidding. we get this like so we get this entire episode done from Theo's point mm -hmm. of view. There is no audible dialogue. Um, everything is uh, conveyed either through uh, Theo reading lips, which mm -hmm. we see he can do, and he can do it to the level I am again maybe a nitpick here but there's a one point he's reading the lips of these people who are, who are at, talking to this on the side like this and i'm just like okay how can you read that mm -hmm. without being able to see the whole mouth just are they enunciating that well <laughs> yeah i i just want to take a real quick just because I, I was going to do this a little earlier but um i want to let people know that we are giving away a we are giving away a um, offering of the uh, free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else you ran on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, spelling mistakes. We'll also catch in contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. I should have done that when you were taking the dogs out. Anyway, I was stuck on Selena Gomez at the time. Um, Anything else? Sorry, well, I, it got him to stop barking. <laughs> Correct. Um, so anything else about, about Nathan Lane and his son in that whole episode? Yeah, like I said, that's a really brilliant episode because there is no actual dialogue, that no mm -hmm. audible dialogue. Everything is conveyed either through ASL, reading lips, Cell music. Phone. Yeah, music or subtle cues. You get this very creative scene of mm -hmm. uh, Charles and uh, Jan playing uh, Scrabble. Mm -hmm. oh my god I, yeah i want to talk about them at length but go ahead and describe it yeah so they start spelling out um certain suggestive words <laughs> and it just keeps building and building and you can see the sexual chemistry building mm -hmm. between them while they're putting words like wood hard wet, wet yeah. yum that <laughs> was so creative scrabble was the second most adorable thing in this show i was go ahead and talk about the that. first 
Yeah, so I... When, when thinking about sexual chemistry, the first two people that don't come to my mind are Steve Martin and Amy Ryan. But I'll be damned. <laughs> you mad geniuses, you did it. You somehow got a hundred-year-old Steve Martin and slightly less than that Amy Ryan <laughs> to, to appear sexy and cute on television. It's amazing. So she plays an oboe player in an orchestra. Bassoon. A bassoon, yeah. He plays. She plays a bassoon in an orchestra, and he's got his uh, concertina. I pronounce that right. Yeah. And she's playing out the window, so he duets with her, and it's a most adorable thing I've ever seen. And it was, they, and, yeah. And they end really up cute. dating, and even their first date, which is hella awkward, is amazing. Like they even like. She's sharing and like red flags are popping up for him and he's kind of traumatized by what happened with his previous relationship and Lucy, the daughter. And so he's having he's kind of just clumsy waitering his way through this date and it ends poorly. And then he runs up to her later on and he like just blurts all of this stuff out and they have a second date and they are just the most lovely, scrumptious, gorgeous cutest couple i've ever seen and spoilers she tries to murder him later and even when she does that she's just melted butter wonderful it's a, it, is a, it is a weirdest scene because like there's not a single bit of menace about it meanwhile she's like allegedly like well she did poison steve martin but she's you would think that it would come across as more mustache twirly especially with some of the dialogue she's given which is a bit hackneyed but Amy Ryan, again, you mad genius. You pulled it off. It's it's pretty. It's a it's a pretty interesting sight to behold. Yeah, her character is. There's always she's crazy. She is completely <laughs> cuckoo for cocoa puffs. I have to ask you, as a as a woman, especially as a woman, and, and we don't have to get into personal details. But I do, I do. I wanted your visceral reaction to this. As a woman who has a lot of guy friends. And may sometimes find herself the object of ridicule amongst a large group of guy friends. How did you feel watching her in the scene where they're trying to, they've got the fans, her, and I think one or two other people. And they're trying to piece together this mystery. And she is utterly dismissed. I hate to say it. I was actually kind of on um, <laughs> Oliver and Mabel's side. Yeah. <laughs> um, because this is actually something that I have dealt with a lot when I have had projects that I've been working on in a group. Mm -hmm. okay. um, it may be working with my crew for for one of the Comic Cons. Mm -hmm. um, it may be some freelancing stuff that I do. Mm -hmm. um, but somebody has invited their significant other along and the significant other is trying to jump in. But you see from the other side. Yeah, and we're all going, it's like, okay, Yoko, sit down. <laughs> You're out of the band. <laughs> no, okay. I, this has happened so many times. Hell, um, mm -hmm. I'm actually working as a gaffer for a friend. Mm -hmm. um, lighting yeah, your horror friend? Yeah, for my horror director friend. Mm -hmm. And his girlfriend has just gotten a small part in the movie that we're shooting. And I have been giving him such a hard time. Because I, I know his girlfriend. She is so nice. She is so sweet. And she's going to do so well. But I am giving him just hell for this. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Always room in the production for the director's girlfriend. Right? <laughs> just because he knows how it looks. Right. So... But yeah, no, because so yeah, I was on all I was with the others. It's just like, okay, honey, at least the fans... it's a relatable scene for you, but you're not yeah. sympathetic towards Amy Ryan, you were sympathetic towards everybody else who was like, shut up, Amy Ryan. 
Exactly. And it's so funny when you actually now that you know the ending and you look mm-hmm. back on that scene and you realize she was purposely trying to confuse them. Right. She was terrified if they were going to get too close to the Demises, then they'd find out that they're not the killers. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, not the Ted Tim Kono killers. They killed someone else. I struggled <laughs> with that, though, because she comes across like the bride from the haunted mansion at the end. You know, where <laughs> she's just like, well, it, you know, I, I like to have these boyfriends. And when, you know, it's reached its natural conclusion, I got to kill them. These are things that happens. You know, it's on my list of things to do today. Buy groceries, kill boyfriend. Well, it's so funny because, yeah, the main he breaks up with her. But the reason mm-hmm. that she kills him, besides being broken up, is that he gets the green ring. Finally, he gets it back. Right. And this is one of the linchpins that he can use to prove the Demas's jewelry racket. Mm hmm. Um, and she sees the ring and she's convinced he's bought it for someone else. Mm-hmm. So again, that MacGuffin comes in and it has a huge part of it because I mean, I don't know. She might've still killed him, but I'm wondering if he hadn't found the green ring in time, would she still have thought he was going to, you know, go for someone else, mm-hmm. right? He had been cheating on her or something, which he wasn't. So, so um, just a couple of quick things. The, the detective comes back later on. She realizes she goofed. There are some things about the investigation that were not followed up on appropriately, which leads her to believe that there's a cover-up taking place. And she uh, ass- assists the our, our, our intrepid heroes in trying to uncover things. She knows she can't get directly involved, but she's kind of like a deep throat character where she's like, yeah, I'm going to help you out on the slide, but don't use my name with any of this, that sort of thing. I liked her. I liked her character. I've seen that actress in a bunch of other things, very mm-hmm. similar to the way she plays this one. I thought she did a good job. Um, you know, the series is not afraid to take some time away from our leads to go show other people in their world. And so they show her with her, presumably her wife and, you know, her unborn baby. And there's a conversation that takes place about, you know, do you are you sure you have all the answers go back and check that sort of thing so i liked uh i liked her character that's another one who could have been written piss poorly but they stayed away from a lot of the caricature type tropes that go along with the um the jaded new york city detective exactly and i'm not gonna lie i love her introduction when she mm-hmm. basically tells uh our three main characters mm-hmm. to go piss off yeah also, you you people and your true crime your true crime podcast and i had debated whether or not I even wanted to bring that up but we have been making fun of people like that on Melhammer of doom recently you know just like boy if there's one thing white people love these days is true crime pro- podcasts i i i said in the thing earlier i did a um a talk at my kid's school today about being a podcaster and all of that. And they're like, what kinds are out there? I'm like, well, the most popular kinds are true crime. Ask your parents. Um, Well, it kills because that is actually an issue the police have had. There have been mm -hmm. a lot of articles and statements and everything from the police. They talk about how uh, not only true crime crime podcasts, but true crime show crime based shows like mm-hmm. law and order and csi and things like that have grown in such massive popularity mm-hmm. that they have to deal with so many people who watch these shows all the time and they think they, they they're they're not that they think they know what they're talking about they think mm-hmm. they can interact with the cops and it's like okay you just binged like five seasons of <laughs> law and order svu i'm a 10-year veteran of the force you go away right so I, I get 
I really do get her exasperation with it because this is pro definitely something she has dealt with. She's like, oh my God, I don't care which podcast you people listen to. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> Just you feel that and I love it. And again, she doesn't really start looking for it mm -hmm. until, uh, yeah, she her, uh, her wife uh, clues her in on uh, what's going on with the podcast and i thought that was really uh kind of a clever way of working it back in because mm -hmm. you could we again she could have been written as just she's just very stubborn it's like i'm the police officer i right. know what i'm talking about and i was worried also we were going to get like a cover-up story yeah. arcs and when we find out that the toxicology report didn't go through and the cell phone forgot that never comes back up so unless this is something that's going to be discussed in season two which i kind of doubt um, I have the sneaky suspicion they're simply saying this was an overlook by right. somebody and she's just not in a position to go to the, her boss and say someone screwed up. So the whole thing with this show is they think the Demises are uh, involved in Tim's murder. They are involved in thieving, but they did not actually kill him. They threatened him to keep silent, but the, it did not cross over into murder. Turns out he was dating Amy Ryan and they broke up for whatever the reasons were. I don't remember what the details are. Uh, but then she ends up killing him because she she because what because what white women be crazy, um, essentially, and um, the whole thing ends with her trying to poison Steve Martin. Um, they end up uh, I forget how how does this I know it the whole thing is resolved in the basement between the four of them, but I don't remember how. She goes down there. The there one of the things that's established early on in the series mm -hmm. is that all of the uh, all the apartments have working fireplaces. Oh, she's gonna blow the building up. That's it. I don't know if she was gonna burn the building up or if she was just causing a massive gas outpouring and was going to poison everyone through like. No, she was gonna blow. Poison. She was gonna. Blow, she had the gas turned on and she was gonna set it on fire and blow everybody up. If I remember okay. correctly. I, I, again, it could have been either or, but yeah, um, Tim Kono had apparently, it, it's actually kind of funny, again, they find out Tim Kono was not a likable person at all, mm -hmm. and he had made sure that the fireplaces were turned off, because I guess since they're all connected, uh, he, it aggravated, did I he say it. It was, he had asthma or his allergies or something? I don't Jan, know. Jan tries to gas the whole building via the newly opened fireplaces, but the trio run into the Arconia basement and stop it. Okay. Um... So yeah, I, I think she was, I don't think she was going to turn it on because that, I don't think she was going to blow it up because that would involve everyone turning on their fireplace. Yeah, I, I think that's the impression I got because of the fireplace, but it seems like you're right. It was just, she was going to gas everyone to death. Mm -hmm. um, and they stopped her. There's a great, actually, there's a great bit where, because Steve, Steve Martin has been poisoned, he's, he has, he can't talk and he has no control of his legs and he, and he gets, you know, and then, and then he kind of. Uh, like Will from the Princess Bride gets up and confronts her and has this really great heroic speech, but it's all in his mind because he can't get out of the damn stroller. The doggy stroller they put <laughs> yes. him in is really funny. Um, but yeah, they take she gets knocked out or something like that and ends up going to jail. Um, this whole thing ends with now everything is resolved. The Demises have been caught and they're going to jail. She's been caught, she's going to jail. Everyone's going to live happily ever after, but oh no. Uh, Selena Gomez goes downstairs. There's a, um, sirens. They run in after her. She is a bloody mess. The landlady is dead, and they three are carted off to jail for only murder murderers in the building. <laughs> Season two, which reminds me, we never talked about Tina Fey. The very nice little cameo on her part. She mm -hmm. yeah, she plays a true, a very famous, very wealthy true crime prod. Uh, prod podcaster mm -hmm. 
And I love when they get a meeting with her and she's talking about her past stuff and everything. Not to mention, I also love that when the first, the first thing that she says to them, she, when they say they want to get better at what they do, she's like, well, there's a course I'd actually re recommend up at Southern, you know, University of New mm -hmm. York. And that just kind of killed because it was like, okay, they, it's like, she's actually pushing them somewhat in the right direction she's not right. she's basically saying this isn't a get rich quick thing okay don't do that no no it's not but i do love the whole she's got a whole team working and writing with her yeah and with one of the one of her assistant actually comes up with a new name she's like i wrote that and if you doubt <laughs> it you're gonna go work for pbs <laughs> yeah she um look i know tina fey rubs a lot of people the wrong way politics aside when she's just told act she's great she has she has a she has a nice presence about her. She had, her and Janine Garofalo play that kind of character very well. It's kind of a shame that the thing that they're known for and either loved or hated is, is their involvement in politics, their perspective on things, because they're just they're both just fine actresses. Janine Garofalo is really funny, but all anyone ever thinks about her is she's you know the liberal commie who hates America. And it's like, <laughs> so once upon a time, she was just a comedian. Well, it's also true that Tina Fey is a good voice actor. We, yeah. uh, she played 22 in Soul not too long ago, and we all yeah. agreed how amazing she was in that. So mm -hmm. she was a good choice to play a podcaster. Again, we yep. needed somebody with a very clear, distinct, but still commanding voice. And mm -hmm. she delivers that very nicely. Yep. I mean, I think you and I can agree that not everyone is cut out to you know, talk on the radio like this. I think we can agree there's some people on our network that aren't cut out for that. <laughs> Thanks. Sorry, was that Apparently, the whoever it is you're talking about, your dog disagrees. <laughs> anyway, you don't know who I'm talking about. <laughs> let's wrap up. Um, I, I'm gonna kind of give my final thoughts here, and then you, anything left unsaid, anything else you want to talk about, the floor is yours, and then we'll we'll cut out. But uh, I really enjoyed this series. It's, um, I believe, it's about 30 minute episodes. This is this was a five hour binge. It's, it moves very quickly. It's really likable characters. This thing is definitely propped up by its performances and a well-told pulpy mystery. This is not a, you know, look, I know, especially with you and I have had sort of a, you know, contentious, this has got gravitas, this doesn't, and, you know, everything else. And here's the thing. Is this going to speak to, you know, to man's, you know, to the humanity of man? No, it's just a well-told story. It is a very well-told story, and it's definitely worth the watch. It is not going to change your life in any way. Uh, but not but not all of television has to. Mm -hmm. This is kind of, you know, we talk about, like, peak TV, you know, like the dramas in peak TV. They There's another level to them. You know, The Sopranos, uh, Breaking Bad, Wire, Shield, mm -hmm. all of that. I would not put it at that level. But it is darn good and probably going to win an Emmy or two. I know it's been nominated. Oh, yeah. Go ahead and have your final word. I'm actually going to see. Um, I'm actually going to pull up what uh, this might be in line to win come award season. Really glad that this is getting a second season. I really love this show. I've talked to so many people who said this is their favorite uh, thing that's come on. Who well, just TV in general within the last uh, year or so this is so cleverly written it's got a really good mystery and i cannot wait till season two and we get to find out who killed bunny and where do we send it and how do we send them a cake <laughs> 
I do um, love Selena Gomez's line after they catch the killer and Bunny finally admits that she won't evict them. Mm-hmm. But she's like, I'll find another way to kick you out. She's like, congratulations. You're now the most hated person in the in this apartment. <laughs> so this was nominated, for it looks like, for three People's Choice Awards. Um, best Comedy Show of 2021. Um, obviously, this is pending because this hasn't happened yet. And then Selena Gomez and, Bo- and Steve Martin were both nominated for best comedy tv star of 2021 this has according to the wikipedia page this has a hundred percent rating on rotten tomatoes 7.9 out of 10 based on 73 critic reviews um and it has on metacritic it's 76 out of 100 based on 34 indicating generally favorable reviews entertainment weekly gave it a b um and it's got uh the, the series turns out to be like the Princess Bride, Galaxy Quest, or Jane the Virgin, that rare and wonderful thing. The parody that also offers a great example of a genuine of the genuine article. And that came from Alan Sippenwall of Rolling Stone. So um, you know, we recommend it. Apparently, the uh the trades recommend it, everyone's recommending it. It's on Hulu if you got it. I mean, you could watch Dope Sick, but maybe watch this first. Or because it's for the children, watch Wu Tang and American Saga. <laughs> So now that we've agreed we're not talking about Eternals anymore, this is what's going to fill up the <laughs> chat every waking moment and make me want to mute you guys every time probably, I'm in a Probably I'm not, busy. only Jesse and I are the ones that watched it. Um, no, it, I think that's going to end up being you at this point. Y-O-U, not you, Alexis Haina. I know. Okay. I got the right. reference. <laughs> um, okay, so that wraps it up. I have watched a million hours of television this week. I'm happy to finally get a break uh we this week um starting sunday we started releasing all of our old ghostbusters stuff because ghostbusters as we're recording this ghostbusters afterlife comes out in wide release tomorrow we'll review it tuesday on uh wait, wait, I got, i'm going late night tomorrow night with uh, one of my best friends it's like Yee, can't wait to see this and we're actually going my, i'm taking my kids monday um we'll be reviewing it on damn you hollywood on tuesday um this week we released our re-aired our ghostbusters 2016 review um jesse and ronnie adams talked ghostbusters displaced from idw and then sean comer and i re-aired our long road to ruin on the first two ghostbusters movies we also reviewed red notice army of thieves um a couple of indie at wrestling events born uh hog born again featuring will osprey versus amazing red and xpw rebirth robert winfrey and i had a fairly pleasant conversation despite the fact that we didn't like the show lock and key season two chris bailey and i reviewed aew full gear 2021 and the aforementioned jesse starcher and i reviewed wu-tang and american saga season two earlier today chris bailey pat and i uh did our mania wrestlemania 10 um saturday we are re-airing because of uh, ridley scott's house of gucci coming out this week we're re-airing our review of The Martian from a few years ago. In the evening, myself and Daniel Lasby will be doing uh, um, alternative commentary for Terrence Crawford versus Sean Porter. And then Thanksgiving week kicks off with our re-airing of Zootopia. Uh, and that's because Encanto comes out right before Thanksgiving. And uh, I want to talk about this real quick. We'll bring in a new member onto the Rattledge and Broadcasting family. Uh, Elizabeth Faust, in theory, will be joining me. You might have remembered her from when her and my wife did the feminist perspective on Black Widow. 
Uh, she is a musical theater person. She teaches musical theater. She's been in musical theater as a performer and a director. And I'm going to have her on to talk Tick, Tick, Boom from Min Lin-Manuel Miranda. There's something about Jamie currently on Amazon Prime. And a uh, live, not live, a, um, a recording of a live performance of Diana the Musical currently on Netflix, which made my wife want to rip her eyeballs out of her head. So, well, hooray! I'm not the only woman on the show anymore. <laughs> yes, congratulations. Now, I was just going to say earlier, since we're doing, you guys are going to be talking about The Martian in honor of uh, Ridley Scott's new movie coming. I was like, well, if you've been reading his re his recent news, you should probably just go start reviewing more superhero movies. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that up to your good friend over on the MCU's Bleeding Edge the one thing they talk about. All right. Um, before I let you do your plugs, just want to remind everybody that uh, the music in this is interesting. doesn't totally stand out, but there's some interesting choices here. And speaking of music, we are giving away a free 30-day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. Our, the link in the description is getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network. Again, it's getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network to try out a free 30 days of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. You fill out the information. You can stream all you want. There's 70 million songs on Amazon. If you if you think of it, it's there. Everything from classical to metal to college radio. You you can think of it. It's there. Broadway musicals, as we were just talking about. Anything by Lin Manuel Miranda, Hamilton, Vivo, In the Heights, all of it. It's all there for you on AmazonMusic.com. So click. Don't forget, he's doing the music for Encanto as well. So and we're going to give more songs. Yep. Uh, so go ahead and click that link and get your 30-day trial on us. All right, Alexis, the floor is yours. Tell them about your jewelry and speaking of Encanto, your Disney trivia, so on and so forth. Yes, we are going to be recording Disney trivia for Tripped Up Trivia this Saturday. We've got a couple of new players coming in, including uh, your wife. Yes. Mark. This is going to be fun. Actually, I are you playing as well? No. Um, I What I told Jesse was I was willing to play if you ran, if you needed a fourth. Um, okay. Seem to have three other people plus my wife, so I'm gonna bow out and let her have a good time, and I'm gonna focus on boxing. Okay, because Jesse and I were talking, we said we weren't against having five players if you really wanted to play. And I told him you're better off with four. Okay, no problem. But yes, this is all Disney. Uh, it's gonna be three rounds: Disney movies, Disney uh, TV shows, and Disney parks. It's going to be a lot of fun. Really looking forward to that. And yes, my company, uh, Honeysuckle Rose Creations, where fashion meets fandom at the intersection of geek and chic. We make jewelry out of upcycled game pieces. And if you are a fan of the murder mystery style of only murders in the building, be sure to check out our shore, our, our, I try to say shop and store at the same time. Uh, our shops on uh, Etsy and Handmade at Amazon, where one of our biggest and most popular items are pieces of jewelry that are made from classic clue tokens. Or we have charm bracelets, we have earrings. Uh, these have been going like crazy this holiday season. I just ordered like 12 new sets of clue tokens. I'm probably scaring some poor person who thinks I have a very, very serious addiction with you know role-playing as miss scarlet or something <laughs> so <laughs> how but... could you lose this many game pieces what's wrong with you <laughs> oh when toys r us went out of business i actually remember going in because all of the board games were going for i think 10 bucks mm -hmm. and i just went in and they had like six things of clue left and i grabbed them all and i put them on the cashier's right and the cashier is just staring at me just like what the hell <laughs> 
it's we like, have like a distributor like for, for like individual game pieces is there a way to just order the stuff directly from the manufacturer or do you actually have to buy the finished game i actually uh ebay it there's a lot of okay. places a lot of people on ebay who sell uh batches of game tokens among mm -hmm. them we also just got a full complete set of risk tokens so i'm okay. playing around with those tonight we're gonna have some fun with that uh those in the kansas city area we are doing a full restock with our wholesalers at both level one game shop in the river market and mind games and magic out in lee summit they're gonna have some of our best stuff and a reminder that we are just about to kick off our black friday sale Starting on Black Friday, everything in our shop is going to be 20% off. And again, that is Etsy and Handmade at Amazon. But this is also kicking off our charity drive. From Black Friday to Christmas Eve, every individual order that we receive, we will be donating $5 to St. Jude's Children Hospital. This is a wonderful gift for your geeky friends or just want Santa to bring you something special for yourself. Again, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Shops are on Etsy and Handmade at Amazon. That's Honeysuckle Rose Creations, the intersection of geek and chic. All right, folks, thanks for joining us here on TV Party Tonight in our discussion of Only Murders in the Room Season 1. For Alexis Hanna, I'm Mark Radledge. Be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>